0: Hey there. I'm Dr. Trevor Cates. Welcome to the Spot Doctor podcast. On today's podcast, we're discussing what might seem like an unlikely connection acne and fluoride. This is a really fascinating interview. It's definitely a, not a topic we've ever covered on the Spot Doctor podcast. And if you struggle with acne, or you know anyone that struggles with acne, this is an interview I'd really like you to watch. My guest today is Melissa Gallico. She is the author of The Hidden Cause of Acne and F is for fluoride. She is a former military intelligence officer, Fulbright Scholar, and intelligence specialist at the Federal Bureau of Investigation, where she instructed classes for FBI analysis of Quantico and provided analytical support for national security investigations. She graduated with honors from Georgetown University and has a master's degree with the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. She has her own personal journey with being exposed to fluoride and what she noticed with her own skin and acne. And she makes some really interesting, in this interview, she makes some really interesting correlations, shares a lot about the research on an element, fluoride, that you might be surprised to learn about the possible toxicity and the possible impact that it might be playing in your health and your skin. So please enjoy this interview. Melissa, welcome. It's so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So excited to speak with you. Yeah. Um, you made an interesting connection that a lot of people aren't aware of or talking about, and that is the connection between fluoride being the cause of acne. And So how did you come to find this connection?
1: It took a long time. I had acne for... 20 years off and on, depending on where I lived. And that was the big clue for me. Uh, My background is in national security. So I used to live in a lot of different countries. And I noticed that in certain countries, my skin was effortlessly clear. But whenever I came back to the United States, even for a brief visit, even no matter where I was living in the US, I would start to develop these painful cystic outbreaks, mostly along my jaw and, and around my mouth. And I, after about 20 years of this going on, I finally figured it out. It was the fluoride added to the water supply.
0: That's amazing. And so, so let's, let's start with fluoride. Let's talk a little bit about fluoride and where it comes from, why it's in the water so that people know, I think people think about it with toothpaste, but, and I think most people know it's added to water, but maybe you can explain a little bit about, about fluoride and and why it's in the water and why maybe it was an issue in some countries and not others. Sure, it, it comes
1: from a lot of different places. And I originally always used fluoridated toothpaste. I always drank fluoridated water and I had the treatment at the dentist twice a year. And I just assumed that it was good for me. And I never even heard of the controversy around fluoride until I was living in Scotland, which is a country that. of the public is against fluoridation. They're very anti-fluoride. They've never really fluoridated there. There's been a few small cities. um, But that's the first I had ever heard of it. And my skin was clear there, no issues. I was in my mid-30s at this point. And when I moved back to the U.S., Right away, I started developing that same painful cystic acne, and it just did not make sense to me. Um, And then I started researching where the fluoride in the water comes from and and why do they do this? And that's when I realized it wasn't what I thought. I always thought it was because they were trying to help people, um, you know, their dental health to prevent cavities. And there's actually a much deeper story there involving pollution. It was the leading airborne pollutant in the mid 20th century, the time when fluoridation was introduced, because it's a common element in the Earth's crust. And when these corporations are mining different elements from the Earth's crust, like aluminum, aluminum was a big, big one. Um, They were mining a lot of aluminum for World War II. It was being fluoride was being emitted into the atmosphere as a result of that because it's a byproduct. They didn't need the fluoride. And it was causing a lot of damage to livestock, agriculture, and human health as well. And they were facing lawsuits. So these corporate polluters hired researchers to look into fluoride and tell us that it's good for us. (laughs) You know, they literally, that's what their purpose was, find a good use for fluoride. And those are the researchers that suggested putting it in the water supply. So the fluoride added to water, Over 90% of it is fluorosilicic acid, which is a byproduct of phosphate fertilizer mining. And you can call your local water supplier and ask them where the fluoride added to water comes from. And most likely they'll tell you it's a company in Florida that mines phosphate fertilizer. So that was shocking to me. I thought it was a pharmaceutical grade sodium fluoride that they were putting in the water, but it it wasn't. There's, There's much more to that story. And um, it's really a U.S. story. The U.S. is the one that invented public water fluoridation, and we have pushed it out to our allies. It's such a great thing. So the English-speaking world tends to fluoridate um, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, parts of the UK, not Scotland, (laughs) but Ireland does. Um, And then there's a few other places like Brazil and maybe a few pockets in Spain.
0: But for the most part, those are the countries that fluoridate wow and and you know, i've heard this before but it's really interesting to bring this back up and and look at the connection between what it might be doing to our health and you mentioned that there are different forms of fluoride is there is are some types actually good for us i mean with the the research that was done on fluoride and preventing tooth decay is is there validity to that i mean it seems like there there is some validity to that but is it the form or is this all just a big lie
1: the science on fluoride is so difficult to sort through because of all the different interests involved and So originally, they thought that fluoride prevented cavities by ingesting it, and that's why they put it in the water supply. Well, after that, they kind of discovered, well, actually, it doesn't work by ingesting it. It's just topical. But Mm -hmm. fluoridation is still good because, you know, you're drinking water, and it's like covering your tooth enamel, you know, while you're drinking it. So they never stopped fluoridation when they changed their mind about the causal mechanism behind how fluoride prevents cavities. So that was a little strange. Um, Some dentists and some researchers think, It it purely works through like varnishes and toothpaste, and that's all you need. You don't need fluoridated drinking water. And then you have another camp that says, we don't need fluoride at all. What we need to do is look at nutrition and look at restricting sugar in the diet and increasing the amount of minerals and nutrients in the foods that we're eating. So there's a lot of different schools of thought. I don't know if we'll be able to figure them out until we get this corporate interest out of the science.
0: Right, and I, you know, as a naturopathic physician, I'm always more of a root cause person, and we don't have a deficiency in fluoride, and that's why we need to supplement with fluoride. I mean, that there's there's absolutely no evidence of that. So why would we? Why would that be our primary way of preventing tooth decay and and, and um, cavities? I mean, I, it's just it it always has baffled me. And whenever I've taken my kids or even myself, you know, for myself, going into the dentist, I've always turned that down, and they always look at me like I'm crazy. Why would you deprive your a child with this i'm like but what research do you have that this actually works and then and then i had some dentists that would say like you're saying well actually it's really mostly the topical so doing mouth rinses and the toothpaste and things it doesn't need to be ingested but really is such a still a divided thing depending on who you talk to what which uh dental, uh, which dentist you you talk to. It's such a, a variety of information. So I really would love some clarity on that. But as far as the form of the fluoride, is there any association with that? I mean, what is the difference with those?
1: So usually when it's naturally occurring, it's bound with another mineral like calcium or magnesium. And when they mine it from the earth's crust they're tearing this apart you know they're keeping the aluminum or they're keeping the the phosphate and they're making the fluoride you know separate and so when you're some water supplies are naturally high in fluoride and usually they have these other minerals as well that makes the fluoride less bioavailable i will still have a reaction to naturally occurring fluoride in the water supply i lived in jacksonville for a period of time and they have naturally occurring fluoride because they have very Deep aquifers, and that is usually where the fluoride comes from. So about a hundred years ago, they built these very deep aquifers that weren't um, susceptible to saltwater contamination as much. That's why they did that, and that's when they started having so much fluoride in their water. It's the same rock where the phosphate fertilizer mining is happening. So it's it's the same element, it's just surrounded, you know, by different elements. Um, so there is a big difference. I did My breakouts there weren't nearly as bad as when I lived in places that had artificially fluoridated water, and I don't know if that's because the level was different. Um, so Jacksonville is around 0.7 or 1 parts per million. I lived in Delray Beach, Florida, and they fluoridated at 1.2 parts per million at the time, and that was the worst my skin had ever been. So I'm not really sure if it's because it was artificial fluoride or because the level was higher. Um, but another place I had lived in, Newport, Rhode Island, um, 15 years before that, and, and that was artificially fluoridated, and my skin was the worst there. You know, those were the two um, worst places. So I think artificially fluoridated water is not, you know, it's not as easy for your body to handle as naturally fluoridated water, but I don't think either of them is desirable.
0: Right, and maybe the benefit of naturally occurring fluoride is actually, like you said, if it has calcium or magnesium bound to it, then maybe the benefits are actually from those minerals, not the fluoride, but I'm not sure if that's actually been looked at, but that's something to consider as well. But certainly the form of the artificial, the fact that where it comes from is really disturbing, and I think most people don't even know how toxic that could potentially be. Um, so it is
1: a hazardous material. When they transport it to your water supplier, it's transported as a hazmat. And those water suppliers that are working on it, your utility workers, they are risking their health. There have been people that have been seriously damaged by this chemical. It will eat through concrete. They dilute it when they put it in your water supply, but it's very dangerous to handle it.
0: Yeah. And you, you know, when you look at toothpaste and it has fluoride on it, it has um, a warning of ingestion that's always you know shocked me too <laughs> why we would why we would have something used in toothpaste and have our children ingest it because kids you know they swallow stuff and then you know the fluoride tablets i've always been confused by that so let's get back to acne because this is this is really kind of a newer thing that a lot of people aren't aware of and so you noticed it for yourself and then what else have you noticed do other people have the same issue
1: Yeah. So first when I figured it out, I thought I have this weird allergy. (laughs) I wrote a very like short PDF file. I put it on the internet for free. I didn't have like a newsletter or anything. I just said, if you have this weird allergy, here's how I fixed it. And I just started hearing from people. And I thought I was looking at the number of people who were downloading it. And then the number of people I was hearing from who were able to clear their acne. And I was, I was thinking, this is weird. Why am I, hearing from all these people and then one woman wrote to me and said your book saved my life i never would have figured this out and it was driving me crazy and i thought i need to turn this into an actual book so i wrote a book and i put it on amazon just self published it i thought you know if people are really searching for answers they'll look on amazon and i just started hearing From people with these amazing stories, like people who had had acne for 30 years and finally fixed it by getting rid of fluoride. And so then it was picked up by a publisher and that's how it came to be. And when I did the research for the official book and started looking at the literature on acne, I realized fluoride is all written all over it. It's just between the lines. Like I saw so many studies where if they had known about the fluoride connection, the study makes sense. So that's what I incorporated into the book. Um, I'm not the first person to put this together. I thought originally like I was, did I figure out this new theory? But I was reading a book by an allergist from the 60s and he was talking about fluoride and acne. And his book is called uh, Struggle with Titans. His name is George Waldbott. He was the allergist who figured out the connection between emphysema and smoking. So he was very well respected. He was published in all kinds of journals. But when he started researching fluoride and the negative effects of fluoride, he couldn't get hit anybody to listen. He couldn't get his, his double blind placebo controlled studies published and he couldn't find anyone to take him seriously. So that's why his book is called Struggle with Titans because fluoride is just such a controversial topic. It's really hard to get
0: this information out there. Wow, that, that's amazing. And then, so when you're talking about the studies There, the studies are out there, there, are there studies that say fluoride causes acne or when you, what do you mean by reading between the lines sort of?
1: So what I mean by that is when I looked at the literature on acne, I could see all of um, these signs of the fluoride was the main player. For example, um, they didn't really, dermatologists didn't really research a diet in the 20th century. It was all about pills and creams and needles and things like that. when Dr. Lauren Cordain put out his article, Acne Vulgaris, A Disease of Western Civilization, that really shook things up a little bit because he was looking at societies that didn't get acne and he was hypothesizing it was because of their diet. So dermatologists hate this idea about diet and acne. They're like, we can't do anything about it anyway. We need something you know, we can actually help with because you know, people will eat what they want to eat. But um, when he published that article with some of his colleagues, it made them, you know, it, it got their attention. Um, but when you look at that article, he's hypothesizing that it's because of sugar, that these societies don't eat sugar as much as we do. But if you look at it with the fluoride lens, they also have diets that are very low in fluoride. And um, Dr. Cordain became interested in acne because he read this article uh, by a, an Eskimo frontier physician, Otto Schaefer. He wrote it in the 70s and it's called When the Eskimo Comes to Town. And he was talking about when the Eskimo comes to town, they develop acne and all of these other diseases, cardiovascular disease. And um, Dr. Cordain read this and he thought, huh, that's interesting. You know, it's because they change their diet and they're eating sugar. But I read that original article by Otto Schaefer and he said it's, the acne is particularly on the streets of larger towns. They don't get it on the smaller towns. And he names three towns. So I called those towns and I said, when did you start fluoridating? And it was in the 60s, 10 years before Otto Shaper's article was written. So that's what I mean by looking between the lines. Because when you read that article, it makes perfect sense why there would be a lot of acne on the streets of larger towns and not the smaller city centers.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, was, um, I was in Uganda recently and I was noticing... As someone specialized in skin, I I couldn't help but notice how beautiful their skin is, and nobody had acne. Nobody, not a single person. And I saw thousands of people because it's a it's a wow. you know quite populated country. There are forty million people in that country. There are the people everywhere, and I never saw acne. And I and I did think about that. Well, I, I immediately thought about the, the the diet and that they really don't have much in the way of sugar, but they do have sodas and occasional treats, but it's just not part of most of most people's daily lives. So that's what I was thinking about. I didn't really think about the fluoride, but I wonder if it could perhaps be a combination of of the two, because we definitely have seen the research show a connection between high glycemic index foods and um, and acne breakouts. But now I want to go back and look at some of that research and see where do those people live and yeah, so what are yeah, the... When- when you read those
1: studies, they they um, he has like a table of the foods that the two groups were given. And a lot of the foods that are in the low glycemic diet also happen to be low in fluoride. Like whenever you cook rice or mashed potatoes in fluoridated water, they will be high in fluoride. Whenever you, even breakfast cereal, like box breakfast cereal, if it's manufactured with fluoridated water, the fluoride concentrates in the cereal. So it will be high in fluoride. So they were eliminating things like that. And I was pointing out like, wow, well, this diet is Much lower in fluoride, and that's why in these studies they never clear their acne completely because they're still drinking fluoridated water. um, But they see a dramatic reduction. So that's my theory that it's because even in those studies about the low glycemic diet, it's because of the difference in fluoride.
0: Right, and and juice is another one. When juices, a lot of times juices aren't 100% juice; they're diluted with water, and a lot of times those water, the water that's added. Is fluoridated water. I know that that's been a big source for people too, right?
1: Yes. And grape juice, which a lot of times they'll add grape juice to all different kinds of juices that aren't actually grape juice. Grape juice can be especially high in fluoride because it's a common pesticide used on grapes.
0: Oh, that's why. Okay. Mm. I thought maybe it was added because I knew that about grape juice that it was high in fluoride. Interesting. Um, so now with fluoride, we have it in our tap water. So we're showering with it, we're bathing with it, and so we're getting it topically as well as in the drinking water, unless, I mean, unless we filter it, which we can talk about. But so is it, is it an only internal thing or is it externally too, that's part of the issue?
1: I think both, but for me internally was the bigger problem. I was able to, I wasn't able to heal my skin completely until I moved to a non-fluoridated house. And I don't know if that's because I just hadn't had enough time to get it out of my system. Um, but after that I moved back to a fluoridated neighborhood and I was able to maintain clear skin, even though I showered in fluoridated water and I washed my hands in fluoridated water, but I would use bottled water for my face and I drank, um, low fluoride water. So I, I, it's possible to live in a fluoridated neighbor, shower in fluoridated water and still, um, and still have clear skin. So for me, the diet was the big thing. I did try to limit the time in the shower. I tried not to take super hot showers because all the steam and just like, you know, opening up your pores and getting more exposure to um, fluoride. So I did try to, you know, I didn't take baths in fluoridated water, but um, but I was able to have clear skin even though the water is fluoridated. Yeah.
0: And so drinking filtered water making sure that the foods that you're purchasing to don't aren't made with fluoridated water. I mean, those are some of the things that people can do.
1: Yeah. I always suggest starting with toothpaste and water because those are two easy sources to, to change switching to a natural toothpaste or fluoride free toothpaste and then figuring out if your water does contain fluoride. And if so, looking for an option that's fluoride free. And then after that, if you see a big change, if you notice a reduction, you can root out all of the other smaller sources. Um, things like black tea is a common one because tea happens to be the only edible plant that uptakes fluoride in large amounts from the soil. So if you're drinking tea every day, um, you know that could definitely be a culprit for acne. And then um, we mentioned like great products, so wine, raisins, you know anything from that one area of California where they use. Fluoride-based pesticides um, can be very high in fluoride. And then um, poultry products are also high in fluoride because just like with humans, it accumulates in their bones. And they can put a lot of fluoride-based pesticides on poultry feed. I think the limit is 113 parts per million, which our water is 0.7 parts per million. So it is a lot of fluoride on poultry feed. It accumulates in their bones. And some of my worst breakouts were from things like chicken soup, or um, any kind of mechanically deboned poultry product like chicken nuggets. Um, that can have, one serving of chicken nuggets can have um, the upper safe limit of fluoride for a child. So definitely something to look out for. You want organic poultry. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's other random sources like pharmaceuticals. A lot of pharmaceuticals are made with fluoride um, and, and chemical products like keyboard cleaners. There's a lot of fluorinated chemicals. So. I think mostly it's the water and the toothpaste and then foods in your diet. And then maybe depending on your situation, you might have a few other sources that you'll need to root out as well.
0: Right. And then also when you go into the dentist's office, I think a lot of dentists just assume that it's okay to use fluoride and the products that they're using. So if you're getting, um, you or your kids are getting a treatment, right? You want to make sure that you tell the dentist that you're fluoride free. And yes, that is an
1: optional treatment. You don't have to pay for that. And you could, I, I've been finding dentists, um, holistic dentists, you know, if you look up the International Association of Oral Medicine and Toxicology, they have a lot of great dentists who are very well educated on fluoride and they won't even try to, to put it on your teeth. So that's usually where I like to recommend people go to
0: find a dentist. Right, right, good. Um, but going back to food, I th- it sounds like if you're choosing organic, that does reduce a lot of it. So there are organic wines. There are there's organic juices and um, grapes. Uh, it, it is and grapes are known to be especially U. S. grown grapes one of the most pesticide-ridden, what's called the Dirty Dozen by Environmental Working Group usually shows up um, as one of the highest pesticide um, residue foods or produce. So it's important to get grapes organic anyway, right? And then if you're talking about a juice and and definitely, like you said, look at the ingredients. Just because it's not grape juice, a lot of times things are sweetened with grape juice as a natural sweetener. And in natural foods, uh, um, stores, Uh, uh, cookies, and all kinds of things are sweetened with grape juice as a a form of sweetener.
1: When I started researching grape products, I went down such a rabbit hole because um, of raisins. (laughs) So raisins are a big one to look out for. And I know you're a dog lover, so you might be interested in this, but raisins, half the world's raisin supply is grown in one valley in California. San Joaquin Valley grows half the world's raisin supply. And it's because of these like very outdated laws from World War II. We had like a national raisin reserve for for decades following World War II and they grew all of these raisins. The government would take the excess and sell them on the foreign market. And so because of that, because of that, the way raisins are farmed in the U.S., they had to use really strong pesticides. And I started researching that because I thought, I wonder if anybody's looked into dogs who die from raisin toxicosis, if that is possibly fluoride poisoning and they have not but there is so much evidence that these dogs are dying from fluoride toxicity. So I wrote a very long, I ended up taking it out of the book because it was so long. I put it on medium just for people to read. Like I just wanted all the evidence there. Um, I did put a shorter version of it in the finished version of the book, The Hidden Cause of Acne, but I really think these dogs are dying from fluoride toxicity and nobody is monitoring the pesticides that are used on the fluoride-based pesticides used on raisins in California.
0: Wow, it's very crazy. scary. Oh, that's crazy. So, with the um, with the, the connection between acne and fluoride, is this something that everybody with acne should look at, or is this something that only a small group of people have? I mean, how common is this? And and like you said, you thought maybe it was an allergy. What, um, is this something that is really impacting everybody, or is it just? certain people? I don't think we'll know until we
1: have like real studies to show what percentage of acne is caused by fluoride. It's much more common than I originally thought. And I think it is possibly millions of people have this condition. So if you suffer from acne and you've tried all different things, I definitely recommend trying it. It's it's good for you anyway, because you're reducing your fluoride exposure and you should be able to tell pretty quickly, you know, if your skin is reacting to fluoride. Um, a few signs that you, your particular case might be from fluoride, um, if you have dental fluorosis. So that was an indicator for me. And what it is, is If you're exposed to high amounts of fluoride when your teeth are forming, so when you're a child, um, you can see it on your tooth enamel. When your permanent teeth come in, it might have like white spots or maybe like opaque spots or in severe uh, cases, brown or black staining on your teeth. This is called dental fluorosis. Any dentist can tell you if you have it or not. And it's a sign that you've had too much fluoride when you were a child. So I have mild dental fluorosis, so that kind of showed that I had too much fluoride in my system. Um, and it, when I was a kid, the, the rates were like 20 something percent of adolescents, my age had dental fluorosis, the next national surveys that were done, like 10 years later, that statistic had doubled. And then I just saw a new study that came out earlier this year where they said over 60% of the children that they looked at, I think they were teens, like 16 year olds, over 60% had dental fluorosis. So if you have that, it's a sign that you've been exposed to too much fluoride. It stays in your body for decades. It has a very long half life, so that's a sign that you could be struggling with fluoride toxicity. I also had um, depression, pretty severe depression that co um, you know correlated with my acne. And I actually put it on a chart in the book. It's like, well, when I lived here, I was depressed. When I lived here, I was happy. When I lived here, I was depressed. You know, and and I didn't realize it at the time. I thought I was depressed because I didn't like my job or you know something in my personal life. But finally, when I came back from Scotland, everything was going right. Like I had everything to be happy, but I was not happy and my skin was crazy. And, and that's when my, my boyfriend at the time was like, you seem to be like depressed the most when your skin is bad. And I was like, no, I've had, I've had acne for 20 years. I don't care. I'm so used to it, you know. And then I thought, well, maybe there's something systemic going on and the acne and the depression are both caused by the same thing. And fluoride is known to depress your thyroid. It it throws your whole hormone system out of whack. And I think that's why there is such a strong correlation in the literature between acne and depression. It's not that we're so sad that our skin looks bad. It's because our hormones are out of whack because of the fluoride toxicity.
0: Right. That was going to be my next question was, what What are the other health implications with fluoride exposure? And because I, I know I've, I've heard about thyroid and impacting thyroid. Uh, so let's talk a bit more about that so people really understand the toxicity of fluoride. So it's, I mean, if somebody might be watching, well, I don't have acne, so I can still consume fluoridated water. So let's talk though about all the other symptoms because this can also help people the pieces of the puzzle together, solve the mystery of the root cause. Because if you have acne plus some other symptoms, it could create more of a concern of like, I really need to eliminate fluoride from my you know, consumption.
1: Yeah. There are a lot of other problems with fluoride besides acne. Um, I was speaking with um, a, a doctor in Australia recently who used to work for one of these big aluminum polluters. And he was um, an environmental uh, doctor for them. And he said it was very common knowledge that a lot of their workers were suffering from fluoride toxicity. And he said the ones with skin conditions actually fared better in the long term because your skin is protecting you. You know, Your skin is detoxifying this toxic substance. So people that had skin issues did well in the long run, whereas people that didn't have skin issues, they were still being exposed to the fluoride. Their body was just reacting to it in different ways. It would be stored in their bone tissue and over long periods of exposure, fluoride causes skeletal fluorosis, which is very similar to arthritis. And I think a lot of people in the United States who think they have early stages of arthritis actually have early stages of skeletal fluorosis. Or
0: osteoporosis, osteopenia, right?
1: Yeah. Lots of different uh, manifestations of skeletal, abnormalities or skeletal problems. Um, People, skeletal fluorosis is only diagnosed if the person has like excessive tea consumption. Then the doctor might think, oh, maybe it's from fluoride. But what if you have excessive exposure to other sources of fluoride? They would never think that it's skeletal fluorosis. It's a very common condition in India and China and parts of the world that have high amounts of naturally occurring fluoride. So if the doctor is from India, they're more likely to diagnose it. But doctors here don't really know about it as much. Um, So that's one thing to look out for, to keep your bones and joints healthy. You want to avoid uh, fluoride in in the long term. Um, And then we talked about depressing the thyroid. It it will um, contribute to hypothyroidism. So that is an epidemic in our culture. Millions of people suffer from that, and they're literally putting a thyroid depressant in the water supply. So it makes sense that we have so many people suffering from that condition
0: yeah yeah and uh, I wonder if too, if it's contributing to the the increase in autoimmune thyroid disease too that we're seeing because it, uh, of the impact it could have on the immune system too.
1: Yeah, that for me the the scariest part about fluoride is the all the studies that are coming out recently about the neurotoxic effects of fluoride um, for the developing brain. So that is very concerning. Um, There's been there was a meta analysis that Harvard researchers did and they said there is a strong, strong possibility that fluoride is a neurotoxin and they said it should be a high research priority. So the National Toxicology Program set out to do a study, you know, of course it takes like decades for them to like do, do these studies and right away they start releasing things and you'll see a statement from the ADA, the American Dental Association saying, oh see, we told you it was perfectly safe, but we haven't really taken our time and taken this question seriously of whether fluoride is a developmental neurotoxin. There are studies showing a correlation between rates of ADHD and rates of fluoridation in certain demographic areas. It's a huge concern. Um, So that to me is, is the most troubling aspect because it's affecting our future generations.
0: Yeah okay so let's go back to the the two places you said to start because I know this could be a little overwhelming yeah. maybe I'm like oh my gosh this opened up so many questions for me let's go back to the two main sources which is toothpaste and water so yes. with toothpaste you can it says right on the label fluoride free that's an easy one right very yeah. easy yes, yes. <laughs> right. pretty easy you can order these toothpaste online if you don't have a health food store in your area even some grocery stores and um um, pharmacies and things like that, they'll have fluoride-free toothpaste, right? So that's pretty easy to find, right? Um, Definitely, yeah. So then, but then water gets a little bit trickier. How do you know, I mean, is it is fluoridated water across the United States in every town and city? I mean, obviously, if somebody has well water, then it's, that's not going to be necessarily an issue, But but let's talk about that.
1: Yeah, um, so 70% of the U.S. population drinks fluoridated water. You can call your water supplier and ask them. They should be able to tell you over the phone. Or you could Google the name of your town and the words water quality report. And that will bring up their annual water re- water quality report, which they're required to provide to you. And you can look for fluoride on there. And it should say... Um, you want to see nd which means not detected um, or anything under 0.1 part per million that's very low trace amount of fluoride so that's a good thing dentists right now are recommending 0.7 parts per million fluoride they used to recommend up to 1.2 but when the dental fluorosis rates started skyrocketing they they reduced it um, to 0.7 so if you see 0.7 um, that probably means they're artificially fluoridating, or maybe it's naturally occurring. Uh, you can call and ask, or it might be written on, on the report where they get the uh, the fluoride from.
0: Right. So even if it's not added to the water, it still could be in the water. So someone has um, well water, um, it could still be in that because of pesticides, Right. Well, the well water, it, it could be from a lot of different
1: sources, all the wa- all the fluoride we're adding to the water supply has to go somewhere. So it's accumulating in our, in our environment. So a lot of times, usually freshwater wells, like surface wells, aren't usually high in fluoride. Usually it's the very deep wells that'll be high in fluoride, but they could be. And that's why the CDC recommends having your well tested every three years for fluoride.
0: Right. Right. I think it's good. I think it's good to test well water. I think some people that are on well water, they think, oh, my water is clean because it's you know my own water, but um, there are water veins that feed into it. And what, you know, Water comes from all over the place. Um, so that's important. And then bottled water can still contain fluoride, right? Which is kind of surprising.
1: Yeah, it can. Um, usually it doesn't, but Um, They have to put it on there. If they add it, it has to say so on the label. So you'll know if it's added because it'll be very clear. Um, Sometimes they, you know, some of these bottled water companies are just taking tap water, maybe running it through a filter and putting it in a bottle for you. Um, So the same thing um, applies to bottled water. You can Google the name of the, the company and water quality report, and you should be able to find their water quality report as well or call the manufacturer to see if their water contains fluoride.
0: Okay. No, I always think the best option is to have a home filtration system. Um, I in my home, I have a reverse osmosis filter for drinking, and then I have a whole house filtration system so that even the water that I'm showering, bathing, and that the, my family is bathing in, that's clean. Because I live in Park City, Utah, which is a mining town. It was a mining oh, town. Yeah. So there are, you know, as you know, there are a lot of issues of, of all the different leftover components of, uh, of mining, silver mining. So I think it's really, I go to the extreme and, uh, I don't know that everybody needs to do that, but what do you think at the very least, what do people need to be, what kind of filter do they need to be using on their drinking water?
1: At the very least having, um, I think reverse osmosis is usually the one that I recommend because it's pretty reliable at removing fluoride. I've seen this disturbing trend where people are buying pitchers, you know, filtered pitchers that filter your water. And a lot of times the manufacturer will say it removes 90% of fluoride, but that might be true for a day or for two days, but those filters very quickly wear, wear out and within a week you're drinking the same amount of fluoride as if you never filtered it. So reverse osmosis is much more reliable. There are other methods. Um, bone char filters are very effective at removing fluoride. There's activated alumina filters. Um, so there's different ways you can remove it, but reverse osmosis is readily available and, and it is reliable.
0: Yeah. And I know that when people look into reverse osmosis is the more expensive, Version of uh, water filtration, but if you think about over time, if you're going to be in your home for a while, it's a great investment because you're going to save a lot of money not having to order um, bottled water or drink. You know, you can fill up your containers and take it with you, which is so much better for the environment too. Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, great. This has been fascinating. And um, is there anything else you want to share before we go? Uh, Things that people should be considering with fluoride and acne that we haven't covered?
1: I think um, just know that it takes some time. When I first eliminated fluoridated water, it it didn't clear my skin completely. I had to stick with it. And I would always second guess myself like, oh, this is crazy. It's not the fluoride. And then I would realize like, oh, wow, chicken bones. I did not know that. I was always discovering something new. So um, you could get lucky and maybe it'll clear up within two weeks. I've heard from people who've seen results that quickly. Um, but it might take, it might take a little longer to really root out all the hidden sources of fluoride. So, um, just, um, just stick at it, um, be, uh, and, and just be persistent with it because, I was finally able to get to the point where right now I feel like I control my acne, like the dial on a radio, you know, if I, if I decide to be a little lax and go eat at a fluoridated restaurant, you know, I know, (laughs) I know what to avoid there. Or I know that if I give in to a food that I know has fluoride, I'm probably going to see a reaction within a few hours and then it goes away. So, um, it, it is nice to know that I feel like I'm in control of my skin now and it just takes a little time to get there.
0: Yeah. And this goes back to a message that I share often is that skin is our magic mirror that gives us great information about what's going on with our lifestyle, with our overall health. And so for you, it has become this, definitely this sign. As soon as you get exposure to fluoride, your skin's going to let you know. And so it. And it's actually a really great thing because what's going on internally in your body, you can't see, but there could be damage going on with the Florida. And because we talked about the other toxicity effects of that, but having that, that outside signal from, from your body is such a great tool that we oftentimes ignore. And so thank you for, um, for taking the charge and writing your book and doing all the work on the research on this. I, I'm excited to see, um, see how, how this continues to grow and the research unfolding to, uh, to let us know more about this. Me
1: too. I can't wait for a dermatologist to take this on. There's going to be like a, a trove of good data for whoever does start studying it.
0: Okay, great. So tell everybody where they can find you, learn more about your book and what the work you're doing. Uh, Sure. The website
1: for the book is hiddencauseofacne.com. I have some before and afters and testimonials and there's a resource section. Um, If you sign up for the newsletter, it sends you a cheat sheet on the hidden uh, sources of fluoride, the most common sources. Um, And then I just launched a production studio because I'm going to try to end fluoridation. (laughs) So um, Gallico.co. Is, is the website for that, and, and um, I put my first uh, podcast episode out there, um, and I just want to record conversations with all of these researchers and scientists and activists and all kinds of people who have taken on fluoridation, and, um, and I want to uh, elevate their voices. So that's called The Gallico Show. You can find it on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, and, um, and I hope that some of your listeners will get involved and join the effort because I really think that now is the time to end fluoridation. We tend to think it's been going on so long, it's going to go on forever, but everything ends sometime. And I think now just seeing all of the alternative health practitioners who are speaking out about it and, and just unapologetically talking about the need to end fluoridation and the damaging effects it has, um, I think that that's going to make a big difference in the next few years. I think it will end.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm. I'm absolutely. I, I. I think it's. It's been. Um, it's been something that needs to t- to change for a long time, and I'm excited to hear that there's an effort underway or that you're you're leading an effort. <laughs> um, I think. Um, yeah, it, and, unless somebody comes forward and shows us some really solid evidence that it is doing what it what it's been claimed to do, which apparently we're not really seeing that, then it, it's time. It, it's definitely time. Okay. Well, thanks again for your interview. I appreciate the information. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this interview today with Melissa Gallico and gathered some interesting information about fluoride and its possible health effects, as well as the impact on the skin. So if you struggle with acne or you know anybody that struggles with acne and wants to to do this fluoride free for at least two weeks to to remove it from your water to remove it from your toothpaste at the very least Uh, I'd love to know what kind of results that you're seeing. I'd love to see this as well. So I'd love your feedback and see what you're noticing about your skin. So please share with us, contact us at The Spot Doctor, or place a comment in the comment section below the Spot Doctor podcast interview on the website or on YouTube. And let us know what you're noticing. And I'd love to get your feedback on this. And if you haven't already taken this skin quiz, I encourage you to do that. You can go to theskinquiz.com to find out what messages your magic mirror, your skin is trying to tell you about your health and what you can do about it. Just go to theskinquiz.com. Also, I invite you to join me on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube, and join the conversation. And I'll see you next time on the Spot Doctor Podcast.